Hey, I, I'm going to ask you to do something kind of strange this morning. Um, pull out your smartphones um, if you don't feel like this is sacrilege. And, and I want you to type in something into the Google text box, the Google. I mean, I want you to type in, why am I so? And then I'll let Google's autocomplete function do its thing. And then just call out, what, what, what does your phone say? I am so... I mean, I, I read this and I didn't believe it. I did it myself and it, it was true. So I'm just curious. I want you to see it too. Anybody? Anybody willing to... What do you see? What does Google autocomplete? You're taking forever. <laughs> Bam! Tired. That was crazy. I read that in a book and I'm like, how old is this book? I don't even know how old the book was, but it's still true. We type in, and it, and it's, it comes up tired. And, and if it's something else, just keep quiet, all right? So the exercise is over at this point, right? Barbara Brown Taylor writes this in an article uh, called Divine Subtraction. I read this, I don't know how many years ago, but it came up again this week. Um, in this article, she says this, I do not mean to make an idol of health. But it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. The only time we know we've done enough is when we are running on empty and when the ones we love most are the ones we see the least. When we lie down to sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer. Who's as busy as we are? <laughs> God would surely, surely understand. Um, I think the consensus, everything I've read, and I'm, I'm sure you're reading the same thing, stress is making us sick. Stress is killing us in America, in, in the modern age. Stress is just doing, it's doing a number on us. Um, at the turn of the century, you are more than likely to die of pneumonia, tuberculosis, influenza, and childbirth. Dr. Fred, if anything is wrong here, just talk to me later, all right? All right. Today, you're more likely to die of heart disease, cancer, stroke, and type 2 diabetes, all resulting from a slow accumulation of the damage of stress, and lifestyle choices. Dr. Joe Gorman, uh, the, the book we're, we're working from, Dan and I, uh, Healthy, Happy, Holy. Holy, it's those three words. I'm not sure what order they went in. Um, but he writes this, chronic stress drains our emotional, our physical, and our spiritual reserves, leaving us feeling like we were trampled by a herd of elephants. Right? Anybody ever, ever felt like that? Like, it's just like, wow, that day, like I went through the ringer. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm old enough to know what a ringer is. My grandma had one of those, and I, I got my finger almost caught in it. Right? If you've been through the ringer, you know you've been through the ringer. Um, big time, big time. Um, a bit more specifically, though, the herd of elephants isn't really that helpful. If your doctor tells you that, you're like, ah, not helpful. Give me some more detail. Right? So here's a little bit of detail. Um, if you're on the edge, kind of feeling like you're on edge all the time, you feel your chest t tightening, you know, when you start thinking about certain things. Uh, your hands maybe get cold, get clammy. Your breathing grows shallow and more rapid. Um, you worry. You worry a, a, a lot. <laughs> you worry all the time. Um, we snap at other people unexpectedly. We tire easily. We feel overwhelmed. We get sick more often. Our stomach, frequently upset. I'm, I'm kind of wondering about this. Um, have trouble falling and staying asleep. Doubt and discouragement are more difficult to resist. That's, that's huge. We just, we just kind of fall victim. So these are the symptoms, some of which will make sense in just a little bit. Um, but here are the long-term results. Um, the results of stress makes us more susceptible to higher levels of pain, right? We feel more pain than we ought to feel. Um, heart, attacks, heart attacks, strokes, type 2 diabetes, depression, 
Alzheimer's, panic attacks, sexual dysfunction, and if that's all not enough, you know, if I haven't caught your attention yet, um, it accelerates the aging process. So I know that's a, right, hopefully I caught somebody's attention there. As Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, we, we looked at this passage a while back. Jesus is saying if you got ears and you're listening, you ought to obey. Right? He used to say to, of his Israelites, they have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see, meaning that they heard and they saw, but they didn't obey. And Christ is telling us, if you don't obey what I'm talking about in this, you are going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price. So far, a summary, so far, um, what I've shared with you is a summary of, a, of the section of Dr. Gorman's book, um, Healthy, Happy, Holy, um, in which he deals with the effects and the symptoms and, and the uh, long-term of, of chronic stress. And I'm going to continue to that for just a few minutes, uh, presenting his findings, um, but then I want to turn to a couple of episodes in the Bible that just, again, highlight what our modern science is, is discovering um, 2,500 years ago in one episode and, and 3,000 years ago, the, these characters, they already knew what Dr. Gorman presents in his book. They, they already knew this stuff. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, now understand, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get a little technical. I'm not a medical person, so this is a very dangerous endeavor. But as I went through it myself, I kind of skimmed through it at first, the medical stuff, and, and I, and, but it, it struck me. It's like... It made it real, right? Otherwise, it was kind of like that. But then I read the medical stuff. It's like, wow, whoa. So I'm going to share just a little bit of stuff with you again. Talk to Dr. Fred afterwards. Um, quick look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of stress. First of all, very important to remember, stress is unavoidable. It is a part of our lives. You cannot escape stress, right? Managing a conversation, that's stressful, more stressful than for others, uh, watching or playing a game of baseball. Yeah, baseball, even golf. Yeah, as slow as it is, it's stressful. I promise you, I've never wanted to hurt people worse than when I got off of a golf course. Um, learning something new, making dinner for six kids with an assortment of eating disorders and a husband who's got an eating disorder, that's stressful. That's just everyday life, right? So stress, in, in a certain sense, is not a bad thing. Right? It stretches us physically, emotionally, spiritually even. Um, it's kind of like exercising in place, I guess, what, what stress is, right? It, it, it just, it, your, your body's doing something, but, but you're not, right? You're, you're just sitting in place. Um, and so even when we're doing something as mundane as, as ordering, you know, deciding which sushi roll we want, here's what's happening in your body. Cortisol is getting dumped into your, your bloodstream, right? Our, our bodies are really, really good at handling this stress. Cortisol gets up in the morning, uh, continues to be released throughout the day so that we, we can raise our families, you know, we can fix our meals, we can love and serve one another. I mean, all this kind of stuff is because cortisol is being pumped into our bloodstream all day long. And so under normal circumstances and situations of life, our bodies do an amazing job of dealing with stress. We are built to handle the stress that comes with everyday life. God created us in this fashion. But let's kick it up a notch. I, I love a commercial. I keep seeing it. The kid informed mom at breakfast that he needs two dozen cupcakes at homeroom today. And she says, what? T today, today? <laughs> like, you can see her eyes get, you know, really, really huge. Um, today, today? I, I don't know if you've ever had this dream where you 
You're, you're, you dream that you have finals coming up in a class and you haven't been attending all semester. You hardly ever go and you don't even know where the class is and you're, you're, you're panicking and you, and you wake up and I don't know about the rest of you, you realize it's not a dream. <laughs> this happened many times to me. It's like, oh, wow, I have a final. I don't even know where the room is. Horrible, horrible, horrible situation. Um, or, or maybe you realize that you forgot your wife's birthday like for the third time in a row, Right? And, and you're, you're just stressed. Or, or a bear is chasing you, right? Go either one. Um, cortisol gets dumped into your bloodstream, right? Whatever's happening, it just gets dumped into your bloodstream. Blood flow is redirected from non-essential functions to momentarily highly essential functions, right? Right? Muscles, right? Just get, 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 get all the energy, right? Uh, glucose, sugar is, is dumped into our bloodstreams. It's the fight or flight response, right? You all know this. At the same time, cortisol's hormonal cousin, epinephrine, is also going into production and release overload, right? It increases the heart rate to supply the blood flow and the oxygen and the energy to those parts of the body that are going to be needing it right now, like right now. And here's where we land. Why do you have cold, clammy hands, sensitive, oily skin? Your skin is a non-essential when a bear is chasing you, your body's like, I don't care about the skin. Muscles, do your thing. <laughs> I'm going to ignore everything else, right? If you've got a tummy ache, it's because the blood is restricted, the flow. Your stomach's not important when a bear is chasing you. That's not what your body's thinking about at all. Um, hyperventilating, right? Sudden increase in the need to get oxygen to all those muscles. Your muscles feel all tensed up and aching and sore, right? Because they're getting ready for a 50-yard dash, and you're sitting there at your desk. Right? And you can just feel your body just stewing. Because they got no, all these hormones, they got nowhere to go. And they're just wreaking havoc with your system. So the problem is twofold. First of all, you're fired up and nowhere to release all that energy, right? Sitting at your desk, sitting at home on the couch, right? Low boil. Low boil. Everybody around you, like your workers, like they're, they're, they're taking bets. When are you going to blow? Right? They know, they know what you look like when you're about to blow and you're under stress and you're trying to keep it together. And they're taking bets. The second issue, though, those alarm bells that are going off in your head that never, ever stop, right? That, that's your body's built-in what's called a smoke detector, right? Just to kind of give you a little information. It's your amygdala. Amygdala. Amygdala? Amygdala? Amygdala. Oh, man, the amygdala. Well, I'm going to say it wrong the rest of the time. The amygdala. Um, Bessel van der Kolk uh, wrote a book out there, The Body Keeps the Score. Incredible book. Um, in this book, it, it, it is a, a full a, a exploration of what stress and trauma does to the body, right? The body doesn't forget. It, it bears all of these pains, and they show up in weird places. Um, but he, he came up with that, that phrase, the smoke detector. Um, and, and again, it is like a fire alarm going off in your house. When, it, when that part of the brain recognizes a threat, boy, it gives, goes into high gear. You know, the alarm bells start going off. And can you imagine living in a house without a fire alarm going off? Like, I, we just moved into a new house, and they got the new fire alarms, smoke detectors, right? And, and, and it went off. It started beeping. And then it went off, and I knew we didn't have a fire, and I took the battery out of that thing. I... I yanked it out of the ceiling and it was still, I couldn't think because it was going off. I'm like, I'm yelling at Diane, like, give me my glasses so I can see the instructions. And it was one of the most difficult tasks because that alarm was going off and it's just, 
It was, it was blaring, and I, and I couldn't think. I just, I, I couldn't think. This is chronic stress. Now, ideally, once the threat is passed, the amygdala, I love it. The amygdala shuts down in that massive release of cortisol and epinephrine and returns to normal operating levels. And all of that excess short-term, right, survival energy that was momentarily redirected to highly essential body functions like your muscles now returns to other functions. And and these functions are the long-term care functions. Literally, if you're living in that high level of stress, your body never has an opportunity to revert back to the long-term care because it's dealing with the emergency in front of it. The whole rest of the body just has to suffer for a little while 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 this emergency is dealt with. Again, but if all the alarm bells never stop, long-term survival operations in your body simply never take place. Um, uh, Joe Gorman, he, he credits his, uh, uh, his dissertation advisor, I think that's what it's called, um, Archibald Hart, um, told him about what, what's called a duty cycle. Maybe some of you engineers, you, you know what a duty cycle is. Um, Machines have duty cycles. Uh, for example, a machine might have a, a 20% duty cycle, and the idea is it, 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 the, the machine runs for only 20% of the time, and then it idles or sits very quietly for the other 80% of the time. Um, and if they're running 80% of the time and quiet 20%, it's going to wear out, right? Listen to your refrigerator, right? If it's running all the time, you're going to be needing a new refrigerator pretty soon, more than likely, here's what happened, right? All you cared about is what it, its immediate function was to cool your food, but you never cared about the refrigerator's long-term care. You never got behind the refrigerator and cleaned the coils and all that long-term stuff, and you get to the point where your refrigerator, I don't care how cold or how hot it is in the room, your fridge ain't going to work, right? Because you didn't take care of its long-term functions, And when we're on high stress all the time, our body does not take care of long-term functions. It's just so focused on the immediate, the now. Our bodies work the same way. A A heightened stress response that never subsides can be more damaging than the stressor itself, right? In addition to everything I've mentioned, now we're going to have to add chronic fatigue syndrome, thyroid disorders, dementia, inflammation, high blood pressure, an anxious, low-grade headache that never stops, and insomnia, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing some people have been through some of this. And, and, and I want to jump to the biblical record here. Can anyone think of someone from the biblical record who couldn't sleep one night? Just call out his name if you know. Couldn't sleep one night, totally stressed out. A warrior king sitting at home when warrior king should be out in the field of battle, and the stress of not being there day after day, night after night, you know, what's going on? Are my men dying or are my men celebrating? Anybody know who this king is? King David, very good, very good. Second Samuel verse, chapter 11, verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. David's stressed out, right? He, again, he's a warrior king. And he looked around and none of the kings... In the area where it battle, and he's like, well, I guess I'm supposed to hang out at the palace. Well, a warrior king can't just hang out in a palace, right? He's, he's like a man of the field, and this is just killing him. He's killing him. He's got insomnia. He's, he's a wreck, and he's walking around on the roof. And I just want to tell you, if all this physical deterioration hasn't caught your attention, maybe this will. Chronic stress makes us incredibly susceptible to temptation. 
right? Because we don't think clearly. Right? We're, high stress situations, our normal files, our, our normal filters, they, they just kind of stop working. They, they kind of get put on hold during the emergency. Neurological studies have shown that in high stress situations, we live out of our amygdala. All right? Imagine trying to rationally think with alarm bells going off right in your ear all the time, right? Trying to think. Continue our passage, verse 3 says that David, the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man says she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of, and he should have just stopped right there. I think this is like David's tenth, if you don't know the end of the story. He, he marries her. I think it's his tenth wife, but, but he should have stopped. I mean, this is somebody else's wife. Somebody else's wife. Yeah, he's the king, but it's somebody else's wife. And then we continue. Whose wife is it? His commander. Like at some point, if he was thinking clearly, at some point, David would have said, nope, nope, risk just now got way, nope, nope, I'm rational, rational, let's be rational. But right, for David, the wrong alarm bells are going off, right? All, any kind of cortisol response at this point has been compromised in David's body. His body has been pumped full of this for so long that it can no longer self-regulate, now, I'm not making excuses for David. I'm just saying, look, if we don't take care of our regulatory bodily functions, right, they go haywire. They go helter-skelter, and they, we do really, really stupid things. And everyone around us can see it, but we can't because we just got this fog of what they call the fog of battle, right? It's just too much going on. We, too much. David's nervous system can no longer regulate itself, and he no longer has the rational capacity to deal with this new threat that just keeps getting more and more dangerous. At some point, you think, come on, David, think. He can't. He can't, he can't think. And again, the story finishes. He sleeps with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. And he goes out and has his commander killed. Neurologists have concluded those experiencing peace and joy in their lives tend to live out of the watchtower, not the amygdala, but the watchtower. It's called the prefrontal cortex. So you got the amygdala, alarms going off, threats and everything, and you got this serene watchtower, right, where you can analyze and reason and be a smart decision maker, right? The prefrontal cortex is the watchtower, the executive center of analyzing, evaluating, and reasoning. Again, those experiencing peace and joy, they kind of live out of that free prefrontal cortex, confidently, serenely analyzing, like surveying their domain. Like I like to do that in the morning. I look out my slider and I, I survey my domain. It just makes me, you know, it makes me feel good. Those experiencing pain and trauma, though, they live in the amygdala with alarms going off that never stop. So you got these two places in your brain that you have a certain amount of influence in deciding where do you want to live, with the alarms going off or in the serenity of the tower. To a certain degree, not 100%, to a certain degree, you can do things and not do things that are going to help you relieve this chronic stress in your lives. And with that alarm bell going off, it makes rational thinking so incredibly difficult, making it so easy to rationalize sinful behavior. If we even attempt to rationalize at all, more often than not, we just lash out at the people near us, right? We revert back to our most base instincts, <laughs> right? We, we become animals, literally, because we can't, we can't even reason at that point. 
Um, folks in the recovery movement, they wisely tell us that you can never let yourself become too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Just like the, the Snickers commercial, right? You're just not yourself when you're, when you're hungry, let alone angry or lonely or, or tired, right? At times like these, self-control wilts because we're reacting rather than thoughtfully responding, right? We're in the amygdala right now. So if and when you can identify a, a halt trigger, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, the best thing to do is what? Feed what you're lacking. If you're hungry, get a Snickers bar. I, I don't know. <laughs> If you're lonely, go hang out with a good friend, right? If you're tired, take a nap. Find a safe way to vent if you're angry. When we were first married, I was a better husband now than I was then. And my wife, when I stressed her out, she would go run. She ran a lot. <laughs> like I would go to her dorm, where's that? And she's running, oh, yep, I should have known that. <laughs> Based on last night, yep, she's out running again. She ran a lot. She found a safe way to vent. Otherwise, I would have had to hear it. So thank you, Diane. Okay, we got to get off that. Um, neurologists conclude a very effective antidote to extreme stress and temptation is joy and happiness. Isn't that crazy? Joy and happiness. The deeper our reservoir of joy, the more resilient we will be against the attacks of temptation and stress. Dallas Willard writes this. In reference to the importance of living a, a deeply satisfying life, such a failure to obtain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Here lies the strength of temptation. This is no less true if the failure is caused by our efforts to be what we regard as spiritual. Normally, our success in overcoming temptation will be easier if we are basically happy in our lives. To cut off the joys and pleasures associated with our bodily and social existence as unspiritual then can actually have the effect of weakening us in our efforts to do what is right. See, we got this idea. You go to your pastor. I'm stressed out. We'll read your Bible more. That's part of the problem. That's a good solution. That's a good part of your answer. But Dallas is saying there's a lot more involved. What you would call unspiritual, what we're calling should be calling spiritual because everything is spiritual. Dallas is saying, look, there's unspiritual things that if you attend to those, your spiritual life will flourish. Craziest thing. 3,000 years ago, David knew. He figured all this out. Adultery, murder, and then the prophet Nathan outs him. <laughs> right? So David, imagine his stress. He knows what he's done. Adultery, murder. I'm guessing that there were even some men in his army who he had to tell, pull back so that you write his men. He, he knew that his men knew that he was a... Right? And then Nathan, like, David, everybody knows. Everybody knows. See, but David knows what to do. David knows what to do. Psalm 51. Created me a pure heart, O God. This is the psalm that was written after Nathan outed him. And instead of running from God, or David knew the connection between stress and happiness. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's a weird phrase, the joy of your salvation. I I felt like when I first read it, I actually literally read it, the joy of my salvation. What What is the joy of God's salvation? Here's what it is. God basically is willing to give David shalom. Everything that God wanted for David, David's like, Father in heaven, give me everything that you wanted to give me. Give me your goodness, your salvation, your creation goodness. Fill me with all the wonderful stuff that has sustained me for all these years and I've kind of forgotten. Fill me with your goodness. David knew what the antidote was to stress of everything that he had done. He needed to feed what was lacking, right? And what was lacking? He, he drew close to a friend. He drew close to his, his heavenly father. A return to the joy of the salvation that had fed him so well in the past, David drew near to his God. Same situation in the book of Nehemiah, very quickly. The people are totally stressed out on top of having been stressed out for many, many months now. Um, the enemies of the Jews were threatening them. Right? They're, they're trying to rebuild the walls after returning from exile in Babylon. All the homes inside the city are still destroyed. Right, They're living in tents. It's just, just this, this depressing, depressing situation. Um, no crops, no harvest, no nothing. It's just, just a wreck. And now, on top of everything else, like they're already stressed out, totally stressed out. On top of everything else, Moses, not Moses, um, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra have the, the, the law of God, of Moses, read to the people. And they find out, like, they hadn't been paying attention to the law. They've been in exile. They've been, you know, they've been busy, right? And, and it suddenly hits them as the law is read that they're in a bad way. They haven't been paying attention to the law. And there are punishments. There are curses. So they're just like, whoa, right? We got no home. Our city's destroyed. Our enemies are attacking us. And now God's mad because we haven't been paying attention to his commandments and his law. And, like, this people is stressed out, stressed out, totally stressed but again, 2,500 years ago, Nehemiah knew something about how stress and joy are connected. Nehemiah knew about smoke detectors and watchtowers. Listen to this. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. Mourn or weep, sorry. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Ezra and Nehemiah and the teachers of the law, they had to explain to the people that God was giving them a, a clean slate, a fresh start, right? They, 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 they just, they, they kind of heard the words, but they didn't hear the intent, the love of God. So Nehemiah and Ezra and the teachers of the, the law, they, they explained to the people, and they're like, oh, this is good news. This is amazing news. This, this is fantastic. Nehemiah knew exactly what would create in them a new heart, Right? He knew what would create in them willing spirits to sustain them in the continued task of rebuilding Jerusalem. He, he knew. He knew stress, joy. There, there's a connection here. So this is what he says. Nehemiah said, go. I love this. Go in the midst of all this stress. Go and enjoy some choice food and sweet drinks. Go have a party. Go have a party. Go laugh. Go dance. Just, just whew, 
Let it all out for just a little while. Just let all that, all that stress, just, ooh, just, just let, it, let it all go. In the midst of all the rubble and the torn up houses, Nehemiah orders a banquet, a feast. Right? In the midst of all this wreck, he orders Sabbath rest. And what better way to remind them of what they were working so hard to restore, right? Don't grieve, don't mourn, for the joy of the Lord's incredible bounty is your strength. So go enjoy his bounty. Be strengthened, right? We were singing that this morning. Not the exact words, but count your blessings. Count them all, man. Yeah, I don't know the words of the song, but y'all get it. Should have thought about that one a minute. Passage continues, verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Take a deep breath. Be still. Stop yelling. Stop screaming. Stop. Just, just shut up. <laughs> See, he knew the people could go either way, right? They were, they were hanging in the balance. They, were, they could very easily at this point say, you know what? We're done. <laughs> we're done. Right? All these crazy people are after us, and nope, nope, we're done. And Nehemiah knew that that was sin, see, because God had ordered them to rebuild. So they could have gone one way, and it, it would have been sin. Or they could have, gone, could have gone the other way. Slow down, take a deep breath. Allow yourselves to leave the smoke detectors going off in your amygdala. And head over to the calm and serenity of your prefrontal cortex watchtower. And they did. And here are the results. Verse 12, then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Here's what they understood. And what King David had figured out like about 500 years before them Stress and joylessness create vulnerability to sin. Right? They knew that. This is a picture of somebody living with that smoke detector going off that never stops. Right? They just make poor decisions. But they also understood the corollary truth. Less stress and more joy create resistance to sin. Right? Craziest thing. The teens figured this out Friday night, right? If your joy, your life is filled with joy, sin kind of loses its draw, right? Because you're already happy. Right? I think half the time we sin because we believe that we'll be happier than we already are. And the teens nailed it. Like, if you really are leaning into the joy of your salvation, there's no need. You don't need to go take something from somebody else or lie or do anything else. Count your blessings one by one. This is the picture of somebody living from a watchtower. Confident, serene peace. Maybe the world has been driving you relentlessly, and maybe you need the joy of Sabbath rest this morning. See, the thing about the world, um, they don't care about you. They don't care that you get rest. And kind of in the same way, if we drive ourselves relentlessly like the world wants to drive us, um, we tend to treat each other like machines, right? I mean, if the, again, the world doesn't care about itself. It's certainly not going to care about you. And if we don't treat ourselves right, we're probably not going to treat our neighbors right. 
So again, us living Sabbath rest is a witness. It's a, what I say last week, it's, a, it's an act of gospel resistance, right? You're saying to the world, no, there's a different way to do this, right? You don't have to be running all the time, acquiring all the time. I think this is one of the things that Jesus was driving at when he said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Bit of homework for you. King David and the building of the walls wasn't the only places in Scripture where you can see these, these dynamics, these um, bodily dynamics at work. I mean, you, if you go through your Bible, maybe this afternoon, find somebody who makes a poor decision, dig into the situation, I can almost guarantee you're going to find somebody who is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Think to your own life. Maybe you don't have that really big stupid thing you did, but if some of you think back to that really big stupid thing you did, were you hungry? Were you angry? Were you lonely? And were you tired? Good information for us. Again, you go to find these peoples in the Bible, and boom, bam, you're going to find poor decision-making, right? And at every one of these episodes, I believe there was Jesus offering rest, offering rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't treat us like machines. We shouldn't treat ourselves like machines, and we shouldn't treat our neighbors like machines. He treats us like human beings who are breakable, are volatile. Um, fallible. But he still entrusts us with this incredible message. But if we're not up to the task, then we can't ever present the message. We're too much of a wreck. We can talk, but people will look at us and go, that person's full of it, right? Look at that person's life. They do a good talk, but their life is a mess. As we prepare to take communion this morning, Jesus is inviting all of us to take on his yoke and his burden. Rather than enduring the stress of striving for just one more me moment, Jesus calls us to find the joy of his salvation. Like he knows what he's going to give us. And then when we walk in that, that, then it becomes our salvation. Jesus calls us to find the joy in his salvation. The question for us is, can we find the joy in the fact that God and all of this goodness and the shalom that God intended is not only for us, but it's also for our neighbors. It's for this city. So as we celebrate the example that Jesus set this morning as we share communion, we're reminded, and you're going to hear this when I read from Corinthians, that each time we celebrate communion, we're committing to doing the same thing that Jesus did for us for our neighbors. We're going to give them rest for their weary souls. And we're not going to pile on this world's achievement. Again, Father, thank you so much for caring so much about our our bodies, not not just our spirits, right? You, You treat us 
mind, body, soul, and spirit. You, you call us to love with all of our abilities, all of our capacities, our whole persons. So, Father, we need to pay attention to our whole persons just as you have loved our whole persons. We need to love ourselves. And, Father, by the way we love ourselves, we, I think, we learn to love others. So, Father, by the power of your Spirit, guide us in these things. Let us not become too worshiping of, of, of health, but, Father, help us to stop worshiping exhaustion. Help us to worship life and relationships and love. By the power of your Spirit, Father, in your sense, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much.